Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bar Fight where it is our goal to inform you and to inspire you. And boy, do I have some inspiration for you guys today. So here's what we're going to do. Our guest is one of those folks who you will be blown away by. And you guys know, I've said this before, I get pitched tons and tons and tons of people, but I'm really, really picky about who I actually have on this show um, because I feel like they have to be a great fit for you guys. And I have to feel like all of us are going to be pushed to think, to feel, and to ultimately grow by listening to this show. And for me, I want to grow by doing this show. So, um, so we look for people that are really going to push us in those ways. And today's guest, Aspen Mattis is all of that. Let me tell you guys who she is. I was like reading her bio and I felt so like underachieving in my life. This girl is a rock star. She wrote uh, a memoir that we're going to talk about today called Girl in the Woods. It was published by HarperCollins back in 2015, and it was called A Powerful Read by Oh, the Oprah Magazine. And you guys know I love me some Oprah. Um, And then she wrote another book, which is called Your Blue is Not My Blue, a missing person memoir. And our friend Deepak Chopra called it a opening the door to empathy, compassion, and healing. I mean, what better endorsements (laughs) could you get? Um, So we all need more empathy in our lives, more compassion in our lives, and more healing in our lives. And we're going to talk to Aspen about that today. Um, She was also the face of rain. This is one of my favorite things about Aspen. She was the face of rain, which is the rape, abuse, and incest national network. It's a resource I've mentioned before on this show um, that I recommend to survivors. It's a 24-7 resource um, that's out there for everybody. And so she was actually the face of it. She's a badass a trauma advocate, an influential woman, and we are so happy to have her. Aspen, welcome to Bar Fights. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yay. So (laughs) let's start with this incredible book called Girl in the Woods. I just want to read um, the words that are on the cover of the book because it does a really good sort of synopsis of what it's about. Um, It says, on my second night of college, I was raped. Shattered and alone, I fled to the Mexican border and headed north through 2,650 miles of desert and mountains to Canada, walking the height of America in search of home. This is a story of how my recklessness became my salvation. Wow. Wow. (laughs) When I first saw that, I, I got the chills. That is so 
powerful. I know your story, but for our listeners who don't know your story, um, can you walk us through what inspired you to do this walk? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So on my second night of college before classes had begun, before I'd removed my colorful construction paper name tag from my dorm room door, um, I was raped by another incoming freshman in my dorm room. And um, I reported the, the rape to the college and they assigned us a conflict mediator as if like rape could be mediated like a playground fight between, yes. between kids. Like in retrospect, like that is so absurd. But at the time I was like, oh, okay. Like at least they're doing something. Um, and yeah, so I testified and he testified and the mediator concluded that the findings were inconclusive, which ultimately meant that there were no consequences and, um, he was essentially found to be innocent. Um, and so then for reasons that were never actually explained to me and that I, I still don't know, um, a couple months later, he was actually moved from his building on the other side of campus, the other big freshman dorm into my building, the floor directly above me. So I would see him mm -hmm. all the time. I would see him in the elevator. I would see him in the hallways. And as you can imagine, I just didn't really feel that at ease. Um, and um, I kind of realized at that point that like my school was not going to help me. I had to help myself and I had to leave this place. And I decided that I wanted to try to, physically, literally reclaim my body and prove to myself that I was safe um, in the world, in, in the body that I had to keep living in. Um, and so I decided that I was going to try to walk from or hike from Mexico all the way to Canada through California <laughs> and Oregon and Washington State, following this continuous wilderness footpath called the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and I'd always loved backpacking. I'd done it every summer with my family and it seemed to me like almost like a path back to some joy or some innocence that I had lost. Um, and that's what I did. And so that's how I came to hike the PCT. That is incredible. Like what 19 year old has that kind of wherewithal, um, to actually pack your bag, put your boots on and get yourself there after experiencing not only the trauma of the rape, but the secondary trauma of the school doing nothing. Um, and, and, you know, putting this, putting this, um, predator right back in your face. I'm so sorry for that. I hope that times are changing and that universities are getting the memo that that's unbelievably unacceptable. Um, so first and foremost, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened. And that's the way that the university responded. Um, Thank were you. you, yeah, were <laughs> you, it's, it's just unreal to me, you know, it, 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 we need to do better. Um, and these institutions need to do better. And, you know, they've been in a lot of hot water in the last several years and a lot of our work that we do at our firm, um, you know, sort of stirs that pot in all the ways that protect survivors, but it, you should never have, you should never have had to go through that secondary trauma. I'm very sorry for that. Um, 
So were you scared? You know, were you thinking I'm 19 and, and, you know, sort of traumatized and now I'm going to go out here alone and what's going to happen to me? How did you (laughs) psychologically take that on? Yeah. So I think, I don't, I don't know exactly. Like, it's hard for me to return now to like my, like very faulty teenage logic, but like (laughs) (laughs) in my mind, I think like what I had wanted was to run away from people to be like, you know, like, it's like, you know, like the culture, the college, like, you know, frat boy kind of culture felt very, obviously very unsafe to me. Like the drinking culture, the like, honestly, just like all of these institutions that I had been told to trust in now felt untrustworthy. And I was just kind of in this defiant in the beginning anyway, like this defiant, like, you know, F that, like, I don't need that. I'm gonna, you know, go into the woods and like be like self-sufficient. And I I know I'm strong, I'm capable, I can navigate, I can hike. I've been doing this since I was little. And mm-hmm. like, I like I can take care of myself it was sort of like, like I wanted to forsake people. But like, in fact, what happened was very different. Um, rather than like, you know, not seeing any people, um, the Pacific Crest Trail is a fairly popular hiking path. <laughs> and um, it turns out um, that, so I, I started at this, you know, at the Mexican border at this big event called Kickoff, which um, is when most people start the PCT because there's this very narrow weather window where you have to get through the High Sierra after some of the snow is melted out, but hit Canada before the first snowfall. So you're not snowed out. So you can you can finish the trail in time. So basically everyone starts in mid to late April and it's about 400 people. The year, the year I hiked, it was like, you know, about 400 people started at the same time. So um, rather than being alone in the woods, I was in the woods with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> and so it was in a way, and oh, on top of that, um, something like nine out of every 10 people who hike the Pacific Crest Trail are, are men. And so it was like, I was alone in the woods as a young woman with a lot of men. And it became this very specific form of like immersion therapy where like, like, you know, I had fled the world of college and arrived in like the one place on earth where like men multiply and women divide. And like, I was more vulnerable than ever to, you know, the behavior of men. But what I, what happened was I found again and again and again, that if I expressed a boundary or, you know, said like, you know, like I want to be alone right now, or, you know, like, you know, I'm not interested or whatever the thing was again and again and again, men would respect that. And I kind of almost, it was really like immersion therapy. And I kind of discovered through the experience of the hike that rape is not normal and that most men will be respectful and that I really was, you know, safe and I could trust my voice. And most people would hear me if I said, no, or, you know, if I expressed what I needed. Um, And so that was extremely healing. Um, In addition to all the time I did spend hiking on my own, um, really the social aspect was just as important and just as healing. That's incredible. Cause you probably had this vision of being out there, you know, alone and your biggest threat being, you know, a bear or or bad weather. And instead you find yourself at your most vulnerable in the middle of nowhere, like you said, with a pool of what could have been classified in your psyche as the enemy in a way. Right. Um, And you found out that, that men could be safe. 
um, and that your voice and your boundaries could be respected, which man, if somebody would have given me the memo to walk the trail instead (laughs) of go into a one bedroom apartment and watch the real housewives for seven years, (laughs) I might've joined you. Um, that's amazing. Was there, do you, do you look back on, on your journey? And I don't want to give away the book because I want all of my listeners to go buy it and, and to read it, but were there, do you look back and see sort of phases in your journey where there were, you know, the first phase, and I'm just making this up, but being, you know, really nervous and tentative and then, you know, catalytic moment a, and then you got a little bit more comfortable and then catalytic moment B were there those turning points or was it much more sort of organic than that? You know, you, you had all these hours to think, um, you know, on your own, how did the journey f- for you emotionally and psychologically unfold? Mm, that's such a good question. I think it was, it was overall more organic than that, but there were some pivotal, um, some pivotal moments where I either, you know, kind of rose to the occasion and discovered, oh, wow, I am capable, I am strong, I'm safe, that were kind of like blissful and kind of empowering in a way that really lasted. And then there were also times when I felt like in a way I was regressing, like it was almost, it wasn't so linear, like um, I can think of examples of both. Um, Let's see, like one, I think really, transitional moment was um uh it's such a long story but basically um I ran out of food I misrationed and I ran out of food in the middle of the high sierra mountain range which is like the biggest stretch of continuous wilderness in the lower 48 so it's like oh 220 miles God. yeah <laughs> yeah without a road without a car all snowy beautiful it's you know it's like the like the gem of California, it's like Yosemite Valley and all that, but like more remote, it's Yosemite Valley is the civilization amid that, you know? And so I ran out of food with about, I think it was like 55 or 60 miles left to the next uh, place where I could resupply. And I don't know what compelled me to do this. I really, to this day, don't know, but I had this strong instinct that if I were gonna continue in the direction of the trail. And by the way, the whole trail was buried under like 50 feet of snow from last winter. So there was no actual physical trail. It was just navigating. And so it wasn't like if I stayed on the trail, like another hiker would catch up with me and I could ask for some food or something like that. It was like, we were all making our own paths through this wilderness. And like the chance of me running into someone was pretty low. Um, So I had this instinct that rather than going in the general direction of the trail, which was north, I should make a right angle turn and head downhill um, to the, let's see, that would be to the west, down the western slope and just keep going downhill. And eventually I, I hoped or I thought I might hit like, you know, a summer camp or a ranch or some kind of semblance of civilization where there would be food and calories that I could eat. And, you know, and so I did that and I just, like knowingly diverged from the, the the course of the Pacific Crest Trail and started hiking downhill. And after I'd lost about a thousand feet of elevation gain, there was still no, no sign of civilization. And this was a huge gamble because if there was no food 
and I went much farther, I wouldn't have the energy to hike back up to the trail. And I was like pretty much out of luck at that point. So um, I just kind of, at that point I had committed and I kept going and I hiked another thousand feet down and still no sign of civilization. Um, and when I say a thousand feet, I, I don't just mean a thousand feet of walking. I mean like a thousand feet of elevation lost. Which I'm getting is like tired just thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> in, in all the snow, no food, probably so hungry, tired, totally alone. <laughs> holy shit like living (laughs) on adrenaline (laughs) and so but at this point like there's no sign of civilization but I noticed that the snow is gone I've lost so much elevation that I'm now um in a different world there are leaves on the ground instead of snow and I've literally lost so much elevation that the climate has changed (laughs) and so then I hike down a little bit more and then I see this meadow um I see a sign like a wooden sign and it says Aspen Meadow. And I cross Aspen Meadow. And on the other side of Aspen Meadow, there is a ranch. And the ranchers give me hard boiled eggs and they feed me and they, uh, they reprimand me a lot and I deserved it. And they like, and they gave me um, for my hike ahead, they gave me 15 king size payday candy bars to, to get me from there to the next resupply point. So I lived off Payday candy bars for that stretch of mountain or that stretch of trail. And um, they saved my life. So that was, I mean, I don't know if that was like, I think just after that moment, I just had so much more um, awareness of the fragility of my existence yes. and just so much more gratitude for being okay. Like I remember like after that, I started kind of almost like talking to myself and which sounds creepy, but like giving myself these mini pep talks being like, you're okay. You got this. You got this. (laughs) And also that somehow, you know, the world and humanity and the universe and whatever sort of had your back. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's huge. And it, and it takes us in a way out of our story. Right. So the story of this is what happened to me. It's sort of in your, in your situation shoved you out of that in a way. Um, to sort of, it's all of these great metaphors to keep walking forward, right. And not, and not looking back and, and swimming around in the past. Um, albeit, a, a really traumatizing past. This is, this is incredible girl at 19 years old. I don't want to tell you what I was doing, but it was not any. Of this. Uh, don't worry. I did a lot of stupid things on the trail as well. And lots of things I'm not proud of as well. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll leave those off of this podcast. <laughs> um, what would you say, you know, to the person listening, who's trying to overcome something, whether it be childhood trauma, sexual trauma, mm-hmm. or just some, adversity that maybe doesn't have the ability to go do something like this, but, but wants a way or needs some advice on how to move forward into that healing process. I get asked this question a lot and, and I don't know if I have a good answer, but, but maybe you do. (laughs) Wow. Well, it's a great question. And I think like, I have two things come to mind, actually. One is kind of an extension of the the story that I actually just told about like how I, I diverged from the trail that I was supposed to be walking both literally by going to the Pacific Coast Trail. But then when I, once I was on the trail, rather than going the way that the trail went, 
I, rather than following the trail, I followed my instinct. I just mm. had an instinct. And you'll, you'll have in times of like crisis and emergency and tragedy and like, like the, the hardest, you know, junctures of your life, most of us have an instinct and the instinct is usually really inconvenient. It's usually like, like, why are you telling me that? Like I, that would be a lot of work, like, or that might, that might not work. That's a gamble. Mm -hmm. But like my, my best advice, at least in my experience is to validate that instinct and to trust your instincts because your instincts know more than your conscious brain has access to. Um, and I don't know why that's the case, but it just seems to be the case, you know, and like, had I not trusted my instinct and diverged from the trail and, and lost all that elevation, I don't know if I would be alive right now, you mm. know, and had I not trusted my instinct to hike the trail in the first place, I don't know what my life would look like right now. I don't mm -hmm. think it would be, um, as full and, um, and fulfilling and, exciting and and true to my um my entelechy and my uh my dreams as it is right now so mm -hmm. so that's I think my my first piece um in response to that question and my second one is more um addressing that like that fight or flight or freeze kind of energy that we have in times of catastrophe that's so natural and biologically programmed it's like, I feel like that energy is charged. It's almost like electric and, and it's like charged with the potential for radical change, like the potential for a transformation that, you know, comes only from darkness. It's almost like that, like um, Leonard Cohn line in his song, um, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And it's like, if you can see, even though you would never wish upon yourself, whatever that situation is, but if you can see that that situation is an access to greater depth mm. and greater authenticity in the way you live your life and an access to empathy that you wouldn't have otherwise ever been able to feel and an access to a truer, um, more fulfilling version of your future. Um, it's almost like that silver lining begins to outshine the horror of the darkness. And like, oh, <laughs> girl, I can see why you're a writer. <laughs> you, <laughs> you speak beautifully and you articulate, you articulate this stuff so beautifully, Aspen. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. You just, you just put into words something, you know, so much, so much more eloquently um, than I ever have about somehow finding some, not just meaning in whatever it is we went through, but, but some positive meaning in what we went through, right? That, that crack, because of that crack, here comes the light. Um, and, you know, I've, I've gone so far as saying I found some gratitude for what happened to me because, you know, here we are older, wiser, more seasoned, more depth, more, more comfortable in a way in, in our voices and maybe even in our bodies than we would have been had we not suffered that crack. Um, you, yeah. you are, you are a beauty, my dear. 
Um, and I love what you so said. Are you. <laughs> so are you. The, the other thing I was going to say too, when you said about that instinct of not trusting ourselves, you know, tr- trauma, trauma can rob, robs us of that in a way. Right. And robs us in many instances of our voice as well. And so I think one lesson you articulated so beautifully is, is, you know, that coming back to that idea that that voice in us still exists. It Mm -hmm. never went away. It was always there. Um, but it might've been, been silenced or, um, ignored for some time. And, you know, I love that book. The body keeps the score. It's like our body and our, and our emotional self have all the answers and our intellect just gets in the way (laughs) sometimes. Totally. Yeah. So that's such good stuff. So tell us, tell us about where Aspen is today. Um, what is, what does your journey look like today? Yeah. So, um, after writing Girl in the Woods, I, well, I mean, I don't want to ruin the book, but one thing that happened was on that hike, I met a man who it turned out was also walking from Mexico to Canada. Um, and we met in Bend, Oregon after 2000 miles of walking. And uh, we really liked each other and we decided we would finish the hike together. And we were about 600 miles from Canada and we did. And so we, we hiked the final um, month or so, or maybe about six weeks together. Um, and then at the end of the trail, we didn't want to say goodbye and we ended up moving in together. And then a year from um, the, the day we met, we returned to the Cascade Mountains where we'd met and we got married and we were married for, we were together for four years. And then um, one day, actually a mutual friend from the trail um, his trail name was Mystic. We all had trail names. I was Wild Child. Um, <laughs> my husband was Dash. Um, Mystic um, uh, hanged himself. And um, my husband went to the funeral and I didn't, I stayed at our apartment in New York. And that night, um, my, hus- my ex-husband, Justin, didn't come home. The next night he didn't come home. I reached out to his parents, they hadn't heard from him. I couldn't get in touch with him. I reached out to his older brother, he hadn't heard from him. And so for 43 days, he was a a literal missing person um, until we located him. And I don't want to ruin the story of where he was because um, that's um, my, the the next book that I wrote, Your Blue Is Not My Blue, tells the story of of, um, Justin's disappearance and the aftermath of that Um, and yeah, and so that book just came out um, during the pandemic, um, and now I'm, I'm working on a third book. But this one is a novel, not a memoir. I've I've been saying, I hope that nothing as interesting as like the material of the previous two memoirs happens in my life ever again, and that I never have to write another memoir, and that I can just write fiction from now. Perfect. On. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you're joining the boring club now. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> oh my gosh. Unbelievable. So everybody listening, you have two amazing books to read and to gift um, for Christmas and Hanukkah and all the things. Aspen, you are a treasure 
you have a beautiful voice and you have taken something that could have robbed you of all of the good stuff in this life and turned it into something that will live and breathe forever, helping other people. So on behalf of all survivors of any kind of adversity anywhere, I thank you. Sarah, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. It was so good to meet you. And we hope you come back when that third non memoir book <laughs> comes out. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Aspen. Take care. And everybody, we'll see you next time on Bar Fight. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.